All right, good morning once again. Uh, as the children are moving on to Children's Church or back to sit with their parents, please take your Bible and turn with me to James chapter 1. So we are still in James chapter 1, kind of getting near the end. We've got one more sermon next week in James 1, and then we'll move on to chapter 2. And as we've been talking about, James is helping us as Christians, particularly here in chapter 1, think about how we are to deal with the outer trials that come our way and the inner temptations that we face every day. And if you remember, our goal and how we handle both of those is found in verse 4, so that we may be mature and complete lacking in nothing, and then also in verse 12, that we would receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. So we endure life's trying times with joy so that we can mature, so that we can grow spiritually, so that we can be complete in Christ and experience God's blessings of abundant, eternal life and heavenly reward. Last week, we looked at the greatest hindrance to our spiritual maturity, to experiencing the fullness of God's blessing, and that is that inner sin problem that we all struggle with. Our outer trials can actually help us mature. They can help us to grow. But that inner temptation works against us. It deceives us. It twists our God-given desires to use them against us. And when we give in to those temptations and disobey God's command, it doesn't result in the crown of life. It results in death. Now, thankfully, James doesn't end his explanation about sin and temptation with death. Thankfully, he goes on to give us a solution. And I want us to look at this again because it ties right in to today's passage. Look with me at verse 16. He says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. By His own choice, He gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. That key word of truth, the key is the word of truth there, that by which we are born again by God's grace. And that word of truth is the gospel. And the gospel is not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels. But the gospel spans from Genesis to Revelation. All of Scripture is the good news of God's grace, of His acts of salvation to rescue us from sin and death. Paul described it this way in Romans 1. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in today's passage, James digs deeper into this word of truth, this power of God for salvation. And how does the word of truth help us overcome these inner temptations? How does it help us endure with joy, the outer trials that we face? How can God's Word help us experience the fullness of His blessings? And as we look at this passage, keep in mind sort of the the title of this sermon series. It's James, Faith That Works. Faith that works. It's not enough just to read 
and know and believe God's Word, we must be doers of what it says. You know, how many of us, maybe you're like me, and you have some gadget at home, some gizmo you saw advertised on TV, some, you know, pill that if you just take this pill, it's going to make such and such go away. It's going to solve these problems, right? Or if you download this app, you have this app or you follow this program, it's going to simplify your life. It's going to keep your schedule straight. It's going to do all this. Have you ever spent money on something that told you that it was going to fix some problem, make something easier? Maybe it was a piece of exercise equipment, something for the kitchen, some tool in your garage, and you've hardly ever used it. Have you ever done that or is that just me? Yeah, I mean, it, it promised to be the latest, greatest, end-all, be-all of us going to fix your problems. You buy it, and maybe you used it once. Maybe you tried it a couple times, but it pretty much sits somewhere collecting dust, right? Well, the Word of God is similar to that. If all it does is sit on a shelf, if all it's doing is in the dashboard of your car, Monday through Saturday, you bring it out on Sunday mornings and that's it, it has no power to transform your life sitting there untouched, unread, and unused. Now here's the irony of it. The Bible is the solution to your problems. The Bible can transform your family, your community, our world. It is the greatest book ever written. But for whatever reason, we don't pick it up. We don't use it. Maybe we're too intimidated by it. Maybe we feel like we're, we just don't know enough to really read and understand it on our own. Maybe we're just a little lazy. Maybe we just can't seem to get into the habit. Maybe we let the things of life distract us. We get so caught up, we're so busy, we're, we're looking for that next momentary pleasure. For whatever reason, the Word of God that is the greatest end-all, be-all sits unopened and unused in our lives. How can we correct that? How can we lay hold of God's Word and get the most out of it? Well, that's what James tells us beginning in verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted Word which is able to... To save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Three things James tells us we must do. First, we must hear God's Word. That's what he says in verses 19 and 20. We must hear God's Word. Before we can take this truth and wisdom and power of the Bible and, and transform our lives, we've got to get it into our minds, right? We've got to get it into our heads. James talks about hearing the Word, but we can expand that to include reading, studying, meditating on, memorizing, any way in which we get God's Word into our minds. That can be a personal quiet time. It can be a group Bible study. It can be listening to a sermon on Sunday morning. Whatever way we do it, to get God's Word, to hear God's Word, James tells us we need the right posture. And that includes, first of all, a cautious ear. We need a cautious ear. He says, be quick 
to listen. In other words, James is saying, hurry up and listen. Be quick to listen. Now, throughout the Bible, it describes itself in a lot of fascinating ways. The Bible tells us that it is more nourishing than bread. It's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our, fa- our path. In short, it is the way by which we experience the abundant life that Christ promises us. So if that's true, we should be quick to listen to what it says, right? We should want to hurry up and listen. But how eager are we, really, to spend time in God's Word? How thirsty are we to pray and read Scripture, to meditate and memorize Scripture? Nothing should be more important to us than feasting on the Word of God, enjoying every bite, savoring every flavor. But sadly, that's not very descriptive of us, is it? I mean, if we're honest, that's not often very descriptive of us because we'd rather scroll through Facebook, watch TV, check the latest scores and stats on our favorite sport team. Listen, I'm under no delusions of grandeur here. I know that most of you are through listening to me before I'm through preaching, right? I get it. I get that. We all have a short attention span, don't we? Thanks to our media consumption, our our, our attention span is like a nanosecond, right? And so we've grown undisciplined. We've grown lazy. But another problem, an even greater problem, again, fostered by our especially social media habits, is that we are too quick to listen to ourselves. In other words, we like to talk more than we listen, don't we? My mom always said, David, God gave you two ears and one mouth. (laughs) So listen twice as much as you speak, right? Because that was always a problem for me. Well, social media is all about having something to say, isn't it? It's about being seen and heard. It's about sharing your opinions. It's all about what we have to say. And so James tells us we need to be quick to listen But if we're going to be quick to listen, we also have to be slow to speak. He says we need a controlled tongue. In addition to our cautious ear, we need a controlled tongue. Proverbs 10.19 says that sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. And then later on in chapter 17, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. It's like the saying says, you can stay quiet and let people think you're an idiot, or you can open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? A lot of people do that. Now, the early church struggled with this, and specifically, this is kind of a crazy thing to think about, but in the early church, they struggled with people in the congregation interrupting the preacher to share their thoughts and opinions. And so it was creating all this chaos in worship and dissension in the church, and Paul had to write to address it. He talks about this to Timothy, to the Corinthians. Now, that's not to say there's not a place for talking and discussing and, and, and talking out our, fear, our faith in fear and trembling. We should have opportunities to do that in the right context, but even in a Bible study or a Sunday school class, we should prioritize listening first before we, we throw in our feelings and opinions. And Sunday school lessons should involve more than just everyone sharing what they think this passage means. There should be clear instruction about what the passage means. What does the Bible say about itself? The Bible is always its best commentary. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, especially slow to speak to ourselves. In other words, when we listen to God's Word, we need to guard against our tendency to raise objections. 
to try to get around what the Bible clearly states, to try to make it say something else to justify our beliefs and our lifestyles. And there's a lot of this happening today. People want to make the Bible more politically correct. They want to try to justify their beliefs. They want to explain away difficult passages to them, passages about sexual morality or about caring for the poor or about being less materialistic or passages that tell us there are absolute truths to which we must be held account. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen to what the Bible actually says. And that means, thirdly, we need a calm temper. Be quick to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now you might think that's kind of a weird one. Why would I get angry reading God's Word? Well, listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the Bible cuts deep. The Bible steps on our toes. And how do we respond when that happens? Will we be resentful of what Scripture says? Will we be combative with what the Bible tells us? Listen, if we give in to defensiveness and anger when we read God's Word, we're going to miss out on its life-changing power. If we treat the Bible like a buffet line and we just leave behind the stuff we don't like and only pick up the stuff we do, it will not nourish our lives. James goes on to explain that human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Our anger keeps us from attaining God's righteousness. It keeps God's Word from accomplishing what He intends for it to in our lives. It's like Jesus' parable of the soils, remember? We are to cultivate hearts and minds that are receptive to the Word of God, just like a, a farmer cultivates the soil to receive the seed so that it grows and is fruitful. Anger, defensiveness, trying to justify ourselves, those are weeds that choke out the power of God's Word in our life. And listen, all of this is counterculture. All of this quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, because we live in a culture that tells us to be slow to hear, swift to speak, quick to get angry, don't we? And again, I think social media has just fostered that within us. So I think more even than James's audience, we have to work hard to hear and even more to receive God's Word today because James goes on. We start with hearing the Word, but then he says we must receive God's Word. Look again at verse 21. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Now, you may think, David, how is receiving different from hearing or reading God's Word? I mean, isn't that how we receive it? Isn't that how we, we take it in? Well, the Greek word dekamai means a welcoming or appropriating reception. In other words, we are receiving gladly God's Word. It's the same word, a Greek word there, that Luke uses to describe the Berean Jews in Acts 17.11 when it says they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And then Paul uses the same word to describe the Thessalonians when he says you received the Word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is the Word 
of God. So we receive God's Word by welcoming it gladly, by believing in our hearts that this is the Word of God and it has power and authority in our lives. In order to do that, James says, we first must reject filthiness. He says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth. In other words, anything that defiles us in God's eyes. We need to get rid of any and all sin that we find within ourselves. My Greek professor at Southwestern Seminary, Dr. Curtis Vaughn, said about this verse, he said, the thought is that sin, though renounced by Christians, is not entirely vanquished in them, right? That's that process of sanctification where we are ever growing more and more into Christ-likeness. He says, there may be some wickedness remaining like a bad hangover from pre-conversion days. I like that, that image there. Paul used an analogy in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 of taking off filthy, ill-fitting garments. It's like we've got this wardrobe from our pre-saved days, our lost days. We have this certain wardrobe, and it's like these clothes, they're out of style, they got holes all in them, they're filthy, they need to be thrown away. And he says we need to put those off and put on the garments of righteousness. Take off our old self and put on the new self being remade into the image of Christ. In other words, we must crucify our flesh, denounce our sin, deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. We should never tolerate sin in our lives. We should never make excuses for our sin nature. Instead, we should daily throw it off, daily crucify it. But once we get rid of this moral filthiness, James says we then need to cultivate meekness. Cultivate meekness. James urges us to humbly receive the implanted Word. We should come to the Word of God with a soft, gentle, teachable spirit submitting to its authority in our lives. And I love that phrase, the implanted Word. And you may think, well, David, how can I receive what's already been implanted in me? If it's already implanted, I mean, haven't I received it already? Well, that word implanted in the Greek can also mean rooted. So again, think about Jesus' parable of the soils where our heart is the soil, the seed is God's Word, and we need to cultivate a heart that will receive it, that will allow it to take root and flourish and grow in our lives. That's what James means by the implanted Word. And both James and Jesus in this imagery are drawing from Old Testament prophets. You heard Jeremiah in our Old Testament reading, and Ezekiel says something very similar. They both talk about this idea that there's coming a day when God will put His Word, He will put His law and Spirit into our hearts. No longer will it be carved on tablets of stone, but on the tablet of the human heart. So James wants us to see God's Word like a seed that roots itself deep in our hearts. And we must continually open our hearts to God's Word, welcoming it, receiving it gladly, so that its truth can transfuse our daily lives, so that it can grow those deeper roots and produce that richer fruit. And this is important. We should be hearing, reading, taking in God's Word, right? Being quick to listen to what it has to say, slow to speak, slow to be angry. We need to take it in. We need to receive it in hearts that are, that are turning away from the filthiness, that are cultivating this meekness, this humility to allow the Word of God to take root in us. These are good things. But all too often, that's where we stop short. 
And I would say most people in this room, we, we hear the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we believe the Word of God, but are we doing what James tells us next? He says we must obey God's Word. We must do God's Word. Look with me again at verse 22. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently, talk about not using things that you buy and you should be using here. I'm still struggling with making myself put these on. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So it's not enough just to read and believe God's Word. We can't just stop with head knowledge. We have to let God's Word penetrate the rest of the way into our heart. But then beyond that, we need to let it extend to our hands and do what it says. J.C. Ryle wrote, Happy is that man who possesses a Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it and makes it the rule of his faith and his practice. Now to drive home this importance of us desiring and striving to obey what God says, James uses this image of a mirror that, that Ben used in our children's sermon. What a powerful description of what the Bible can be when we take seriously to hear it and to receive it into our hearts. We cannot look into Scripture very long without realizing it's looking into us. And we begin to see ourselves as we really are. We don't always like what we see when we do that. But it all depends, as Ben said, on how intently we look into that mirror. So James first tells us that we tend to forgetfully glance. That's our tendency. He writes about that in verses 23 and 24. We, we tend to forgetfully glance. Now, we all know there's a lot of things that can go wrong with our outer appearance, right? You know, a, a lot of stuff that can happen. Your hair's all crazy. You get, you know, broccoli stuck in your teeth. And, and you know, what man wants to go out to face the day with blood on his collar from shaving, right? Or what woman wants to go out with lipstick on her nose, right? So we look into a mirror to make sure, you know, every Sunday morning before I come out, there's a mirror coming out of my office, and I stop and I look, and I make sure, you know, is, is my, my name tag straight? If I'm wearing a tie, is my tie on straight? You know, if, if I, am, I, am I zipped up? You know, these are important things I want to make sure are happening before I come walking in here. Uh, I want to make sure my hair looks great. Now, some of you may be thinking, we need to buy David a better mirror. So, I mean, obviously, we need to, we need to do that. And it's probably true. But what would you think about a person who looks into a mirror, sees something wrong, and then just goes away without correcting it? It's pretty pointless. Why stop and look in the mirror if you're not going to do something about what you see? Well, the Word of God is like that. It's a mirror. It does its work. It shows us who we, look, who we really are, what's going on in our life. We look into it. We discover the truth about ourselves, but then the responsibility rests on us. Are we going to correct the problem that we see or will we ignore it? Are we going to act on the Word or merely hear it and deceive ourselves? What does the Bible reveal to you when you look into it? Does it tell you that your prayer life is not what it should be? Okay, well then what are you going to do about it? Are you going to try to pray more? Does it tell you that you've got bitterness and resentment in your heart toward a fellow Christian? Okay, what are you going to do about that? 
You're going to forgive the person and make amends or go on being bitter towards them? Does it tell you that you're not as faithful in attending worship as you should be? That your love for Christ is growing cold? Is it telling you that you need to care more for the poor? That you need to use your gifts and talents to serve God? That you should be sharing the gospel with those you know are lost or unchurched? Okay. If that's what it's showing you about yourself, what are you going to do about it? You're going to give it just a quick glance? Move on unchanged? Or will you take action? Because that's what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to take action. Listen, I've seen it time and again. People that they want to go to a camp or a retreat or they want to have a revival, they, they want to wait for some spiritual experience to happen to them that's going to just somehow change them overnight into the person they should be. That's not how that works. The Bible tells us that we are responsible for hearing and receiving God's truth and doing something about it. God is not going to magically change you if you're not willing to put forth any effort to grow, to be obedient. You can't just say, Lord, Lord, and not do what He commands. There is no more urgent business than addressing those matters in our lives which the Scripture brings to our attention. But too many of us are like the, the story I heard about a witch doctor who uh, was living out in the, in the bush somewhere, had never seen a mirror before. And this missionary came, and this missionary had a, a mirror. And she looked in it and, um, and, and just shrieked at the sight she saw looking back at her, just screamed. And she immediately went to the missionary and bargained to buy the mirror from him. So, you know, he's, once he realized she was not going to take no for an answer, he sold it to her for a really good deal. She took the mirror and she broke it on the ground immediately. And he said, why did you do that? And she said, it won't be making ugly faces at me anymore. (laughs) Aren't we like that? The Bible reveals our ugliness to us, but that ugliness doesn't go away because we close it and leave it on the shelf and ignore it. The only cure for our ugliness is to do what it says. So don't just give the Bible a casual, forgetful glance. Don't just open it up on a Sunday morning. Don't just settle for a quick thought for the day to inspire you in the morning. Instead, we should thoughtfully gaze into God's Word. Look with me again at verse 25. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. That Greek word for looks is a word that suggests far more than a thoughtful glance. It has the sense of looking carefully, closely, seriously into something. It's something you've got to put on your glasses to see. It's something you've got to stoop down and squint at. Maybe get out one of those Sherlock Holmes you know, magnifying glasses. You want, to, you want to know it better. You want to understand it. It's the same word that John uses when he writes about that Easter Sunday morning when he ran to the tomb and he looked inside the tomb. He didn't just peek in there and go, oh, it's empty. No, he gazed into it. He looked into it. He took in every detail of that empty tomb. James says a thoughtful gazer is one who not only looks intently, but perseveres in it. In other words, it's not just an occasional gaze. It's a constant gaze. It's a regular gaze. We are constantly, regularly examining the perfect law 
of freedom. Here in these few verses we've looked at today, James gives us three really neat descriptions of the Bible. Right? It is the word of truth. It's the implanted word. And it's the perfect law of freedom. Now, have you ever thought about God's commands as a means of freedom? You know, a lot of people think of that as, no, it's restrictive, right? It's, it's, it's meant to limit us. It's meant to, you know, kind of take the fun out of life. How is the Word of God the perfect law of freedom? Well, first, it's perfect because it was given to us by God, right? He is perfect. He can't produce anything that isn't perfect. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And God our Father is, does not change like shifting shadows. Therefore, the Bible is perfect. It's constant. It's unchanging. It's perfect. It's a law because it comes from God to, to yes, to restrict our conduct, to guide our decisions and our lives. And yes, when we disobey God's Word, there are both natural and divine consequences. It is God's law. It is His prescription for how we are to live. And it brings freedom. Because it alone shows us the way to experience spiritual liberty from the slavery of sin and death. Now Satan works hard to portray sin as the ultimate freedom and God's Word is that which wants to enslave us. But it's actually the exact opposite of that. It's like someone said, duty is the greatest liberty and sin the greatest bondage. That is so true. James' use of this phrase should make us realize how blessed we are to have this book. It's a mirror that shows us the truth about ourselves and it's the law that gives us liberty. It gives us freedom. I think if we could realize to a fuller degree what we have in the Word of God, we'd find ourselves struggling less to thoughtfully gaze into it and do what it says. And James goes on to attach a promise to this. The one who gazes thoughtfully into the Word of God and does what it says will be blessed in what he does. That that word blessed is makarios. It's the same word Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the, the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers. It's the same word James used in verse 12 to talk about blessed is the one who endures trials. It, it means happy. It means Fulfilled, it means satisfied. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Peace and fulfillment and satisfaction? So why are most people restless, unfulfilled, always looking for the next thing to scratch that itch? Because we foolishly turn to physical pleasures and material possessions and addictive substances and the more we seek fulfillment in the things of this world, the more it eludes us. But when we devote ourselves to thoughtfully gazing into the Word of God and we allow it to transform us from the inside out, doing what it tells us to do, that's where we find real contentment. That's where we find peace and fulfillment. And why should that be a surprise? Because if we're made by God for God, doesn't it make sense that we only find fulfillment in God? In being who He tells us to be and doing what He commands us to do. There's another beautiful picture that that I want to show you, another picture for us to think about this whole process. Uh, And it's it's what the Jewish men wear when they go to uh, synagogue or on Shabbat or in these pictures at the Western Wall. Uh, In the Bible, they call them phylacteries. Jews today call them tefillin. But it's little boxes with leather straps they wear on their forehead and on their hand. 
And in those boxes, they put a little bit of Scripture, usually the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They'll put that in there. And then they put it on their hand, and they have this leather that wraps around their hand and up their arm. There's a meaning behind this that is exactly what James is talking about. It's what we as a church talk about, uh, what, like what Miss Candy said, that we want our children, we want all of us, we want to think, act, and be like Jesus. We want to think like Jesus. We need the Word of God in our head. We need to hear the Word of God. But then we need to believe the Word of God. We need to receive it into our hearts so that we can be like Jesus. And that's why they wrap the, the strip around their left arm because when they cross their arm, God's Word is closer to their heart. So it's in their head, it's in their heart, but it's also on their hands. We are to act like Jesus. We are to be doers of the Word. Hear, receive, do. With our head, with our heart, with our hand. What about you? Do you hunger and thirst for God's Word? Are you seeking to think, be, and act like Jesus? To not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. I want to encourage you right now to take a moment and gaze into this mirror this morning. What is God saying to you about your life? Maybe this morning He's telling you that you're covered in sin. Maybe He's telling you this morning that you're wearing these ill-fitting, out-of-date clothes of lust and greed and bitterness and materialism, and you need to put them away. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your need for a Savior to turn from sin and to experience that perfect freedom that Christ brings, to receive that crown of eternal life. Would you come this morning and respond to what God is saying to you by putting your faith and trust in Jesus? Let Him put those robes of righteousness on your heart today. Maybe you look into this law, this mirror this morning, this law of liberty, and you realize that it's convicting you about your commitment You know what you should be doing. You've been dragging your feet, but you know that God would have you to unite with this church family. You know God would have you to say yes to serving in some particular way, to put your gifts and talents to work, to witness to that co-worker or that neighbor. Whatever God is speaking to you as you look into this mirror of His Word, will you take action? Will you be a doer of it? Stop dragging your feet. In the Lambert house, we say delayed obedience is disobedience. Are you obeying the word or disobeying? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. Lord, it often tells us things we don't like to hear. It cuts to the bone. It steps on our toes. It confronts us with the ugliness that we like to ignore. God, I pray that we would be doers of Your Word. I pray that we would have a hunger and a thirst to hear and to read Your Word. I pray, God, that we would cultivate a heart that is open to receive Your Word and what it says to us. And I pray, God, we'd be a people that put hands and feet to Your Word and we do what it says. God, forgive us for when we don't. Forgive us for our disobedience. Forgive us for that delayed obedience that is still disobedience. God, I pray that Your Spirit would move among us today. That either right now in this moment or as we go home this afternoon and to school and work this week, help us to be doers of Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come as God's Spirit leads you to respond?